0: Drug overdoses hit an all-time high. Is it the pandemic or is it the policies? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. The headline I used as my diving board this morning was from Fox News. It was an online article. Headline was, U.S. drug overdoses topped 100,000 in 2021 reaching an all-time high, according to the CDC. Drug overdose deaths have risen sharply in the U.S. since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, why does this matter to us? I'm interested in the drug issue, the drug overdose issue, because it's affected my family. And as I I picked this headline today, and I was going through this today, And I realized that it is the birthday of my sister who died of a fentanyl overdose. So perhaps that's why I picked this. And I certainly have some experience with people who have been drug addicts and even died of a fentanyl overdose accidentally, not looking for fentanyl. So I've been aware of this subject for a long time. And I think it's so pervasive in our society that I think a lot of people... I mean, I I think it's probably hard to escape knowing someone in your family or extended family or a friend group who has had their life upended either by being a drug addict in their own past or having a close family member who's a drug addict. It's very disruptive. It really feels to me like it's deliberately injected into society to increase conflict, to further the government's um, reason to exist. And I'm going to tell you what I really think is going on here. Some of the things I question maybe are going on, not 100% sure. But I feel like it's important to all of us to kind of understand, I mean, we're not going to hit everything in a short podcast, but I think it's important to all of us to like try to pull this stuff apart piece by piece if we can, even just to try to protect ourselves and our families by maybe understanding the underlying causes of this, what to really worry about. So let's just start today, we'll probably hit the subject more than once, uh, with this story, this headline. Now, the headline, I actually fell for the headline out of the gate, which was, Um, It was COVID-related, probably because people are really doing a lot more drugs, and that's what's happening. But I actually dug into the numbers that were referred to in the article, even like to the point where I found the chart that they showed, and they didn't make it interactive. They showed a picture of the chart, and there is an interactive version of it on the CDC website, which I found, and it told a a more detailed story, I can tell you that. So let me read you just kind of like the premise in the article, and then I'll tell you what I think is kind of what's really going on. It says over 100,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2021, reaching an all-time high. The U.S. recorded an estimate 107,622 drug overdose deaths last year. And the number is a large jump from the year prior when the CDC estimated around 92,000 Americans died due to drug overdose. That is kind of a large jump. It's whatever, like 16,000. That would be probably around 15%. It says drug overdose deaths have risen sharply in the U.S. since the start of the COVID pandemic, rising 31% from 2019 to 2020, as many Americans were forced to stay home in isolation as the virus swept through the country. So actually, if that was 30% from 19 to 20, and then 15% from 20 to 21, it looks like the rate of growth is slowing, but it's still a really, really huge number. Now, I know this because I recognize that 100,000 person number as really outsized because 10 years ago when I started in radio, I mean, as a hardcore libertarian, the first thing you want to explain to people is that the drug war, just like gun control, is really not good for society. And I would observe, I think my earliest show was about, I think there were 35,000 drug overdoses that year, something like that. And... I think it was, I mean, definitely in the teens, so close to half, if not fully half or more than half of the drug overdoses were from, quote, legal drugs. So having bans on drugs, having control on drugs didn't seem to reduce the problem of drug overdoses. But that's why I remember the numbers as being like thirty-five, forty thousand, 40,000, not 100,000. So I started looking at the charts that they had in there, or I found the source of the charts that they had kind of screenshot in their article, and I noticed that the number of overdose deaths has way more than, meaningfully more than doubled since I started covering this, which happens to be around 2013, when the first reported deaths from fentanyl in street drugs started to emerge. So as I looked at the graphs in the CDC chart, it was clear that basically the entire increase is fentanyl. And I went back to the early days of when it was first emerging. I was looking at studies from 2013, 2014, coming out of Canada, coming out of Rhode Island, when the numbers were in like double digit numbers, but they were noticing all of a sudden people dying of fentanyl and what they observed was that people did not know they had been using fentanyl. So this is something they're not looking for, they're not asking for. It's being placed in drugs, not just heroin and opioids that you would think they would turn up in because it's the same kind of effect. It's a it's an analgesic, it's a painkiller, it can get you high. But it is also turning up pretty broadly in cocaine and meth, which are stimulants. It's a totally different thing. Those That would be a different high, unless they're trying to make something special that actually gives you a little euphoria hit. But you would think then they would tell you, oh, this is meth plus or whatever, but they're not telling you that. So they're slipping it in there. And who is slipping it in there? Some of the studies I read said it's not or reports I read it's not the retailers it's not the guys who no my sister when she died literally with a needle in her arm and they when they did the tox report they found that had fentanyl in it and she was not a fentanyl user she did methadone like on the government's tab and heroin and she had a specific dealer she literally liked in the Bronx or wherever it was and she trusted him and now he lost this great customer I'm sure she had (laughs) gave him a lot of money And he wouldn't have done it. And they're saying that those are not the guys that are doing it. It's the distributors. So that is a, that's something else. You would think eventually the retailers would stop using those distributors unless it's so widespread. You can't get distribution without it. Just to back up that number, I found a study from a few years ago. It says, according to U.S. government figures, 64,000 people died from drug overdoses in the U.S. in 2016. With over 20,000 of those deaths attributed to synthetic opioids, mostly fentanyl. Fentanyl deaths increased by 540% over just three years, leading some to term this surge the third wave of the opioid crisis. So those numbers really comport with my memory of the thing, 2013 being around 35,000 and then 2016 being 64,000 deaths and 20,000 of those deaths were fentanyl or something similar. So it goes on to say that the 2021 death toll, this is back to the article, the CDC estimates that three quarters of that death toll was caused by fentanyl. So that actually, if you take the fentanyl out, you kind of get back to pre-fentanyl numbers for the OD. So it's really this epidemic, this crisis is all fentanyl related. And they give a little side comment. The drug has been blamed for the surgeon overdose deaths before the pandemic, with the U.S. recording under fifty thousand fatal overdoses as recently as 2014. And that was even that was even after it started. So they're acknowledging that this thing was a trend since before COVID. And the way I look at it, it has very little to do with maybe a little bit, but it's really the fentanyl thing. And just to put this in perspective, okay, so this is over 100,000 people died in 2021 just of drug overdoses, three-quarters of which were fentanyl, this fentanyl issue. And the official number for COVID-19 deaths for 2020, which was the year we all locked down, 2020, is now, in the United States, 350,000 people supposedly died, according to the CDC, in 2020 of COVID and we're talking a third that number is just people dying of drug overdoses yet with that 350 the entire world not just the US but the entire world shut down entire world shut down and think of the untold suffering and this is this is a a, a cause of death that's not magnitudes bigger than these overdose things. So, but my big question about all of this was why 2013 what happened in 2013 to get this this fentanyl thing going? Usually I will look to a policy change or a technology change. And I think that our government, DARPA and stuff do generate technology changes when they want a policy change, such as like lockdown couldn't have happened without Zoom. And that makes me think that Zoom is built on government technology. I realize it's a foreign company, but you get the idea that technology gets built and shared. It wouldn't necessarily be built in the private market, but once it's out there, people have access to it and they can build on it. And that's actually how they do it, I think. Uh, Or would it be some event like COVID or a cultural phenomenon, something that just swept the nation for some reason? And of course, that would always go back to a reason as well. So COVID would be a reason, but it, it can't be because that isn't what started it. That isn't what happened in 2013. Now, I understand why fentanyl would be used. It's what would be a classic prohibition drug. So what happens when you have a prohibition, like just think about alcohol prohibition. If you had alcohol prohibition, would you, if you were a rum runner or whatever, would you want to take a, a refined spirit or, a, or an 80 proof spirit in a bottle across the border? Or would you go for like 120 proof spirit so that you can shot for shot sell it for more. So when you smuggle stuff, it gets stronger. And then the the bulkier things tend to go into shortage. It's kind of flip sides the same coin, but when they're banned, and certainly like natural things that you could get in your area or, you know, growing pot or whatever, you can't use those alternatives, those natural things. And it just drives you into highly refined, more potent and often synthetic alternatives. And that's something that you would cut the heroin. So you get your your thing heroin, you can cut it in half by putting a bunch of baby soda in it or whatever, baby soda, <laughs> baby powder, baking soda, and then put a little bit of fentanyl in there. And it looks like the quantity is right for the user, but it's really this, this mishmash of stuff. They're not scrupulous about their formulas and stuff because I mean if it's just a guy on the corner and people start dying he's just going to go to the next corner or go to you know get out of town it's not like there's you know cuz drugs are on the move drug dealers are on the move in a black market you don't have those kind of mechanisms that you have with a fixed establishment like a CVS or something so the idea that it is a prohibition drug is pretty understandable but why 2013 and I simply cannot find in all my research any good explanation of this and all the research all the medical stuff all the government research all the articles that I've read nobody points to what happened in that moment in 2013 2014 where it started coming over the borders of Canada and Mexico and start infiltrating these street drugs that the that the retail guys are not putting in there they wouldn't be putting it in meth and coke. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So let's talk about some of the things that were happening then or have been happening over the past years that may be contributing to that or if we can't figure out what was contributing to it in the past, let's think about who is going to benefit. That's always a good way. What impact is this having or will have on powerful interests? You know, a lot of it makes me wonder about what the bigger picture is. Are they trying to discourage people from using street drugs? Are they trying to kill people who are maybe the kind of drug users who can't actually function, can't be useful? Maybe they want people to use THC. Hallucinogenics are going to be legal soon. Maybe those are the kind of people who can still function, who can still code, who can still be in the world and maybe THC or hallucinogenics make those same people more vulnerable, more susceptible to the propaganda that's being pushed on them on screens large and small, and then go out in the world with these ideas that are maybe half baked, haha, but still take root. Whereas when you're dealing maybe with meth heads or heroin addicts, they're really not going to engage at all. They're not going to be some des- docile servant class that propagates these myths about how society should be structured. I mean, it's possible because they are cracking down on the opioid companies as well. And I guess withdrawing from Afghanistan will actually probably increase any kind of shortage of heroin because before we got there, the Taliban had basically eradicated heroin growing there and it's a big place for heroin growing. And now that we exit, perhaps it will diminish again since the Taliban has got power there once more. So it's possible that they are trying to drive people into these other drugs. And as a libertarian, I actually think that the answer to all of this is... To have more liberty, not less. Now, there are pitfalls and traps in that. So, when drugs were becoming legal, and I noticed that George Soros was funding these efforts, you had to wonder what does he want? Does he want a drugged up society or what? And how do we overcome that? And that's where my idea of like a heritage or a legacy of certain things, like growing food or handling guns or using the God's gift to us in the form of uh, hemp or any of the other drugs he's given us. It comes from an understanding culturally, socially of knowing how to use it. it gets passed down in families. It comes from your land where you are. So when you just reintroduce these things, it can have a bad effect. And if, and I never liked this argument where they talked about Let's legalize drugs because then we can tax and regulate it. I hate all of that. Taxing just gives the government an incentive to push it. It gives a a relationship between government and corporations. Same things with the regulations. There is such a thing called regulatory barriers to entry. It's where regulations keep substitutes from emerging, keep new entrants out of an industry. So then you have these giant corporate companies that say, well, we need to use a certain amount of cleanliness, a certain amount of um, disinfectant or a certain amount of pesticides or herbicides. You know, the regulations are often unnatural and also result in concentrated products that aren't natural, that are more derivative products, because once you have the license, then you can do whatever is most profitable to you. Whereas if people were growing pot in their backyards everywhere, that would really drive down the prices. The unregulated market is actually a less lucrative market. It's going to get less attention from the government or the corporations. I mean, it's just one of those things where the natural state is the better state, but we're so far from that, that we have to be aware of the personal responsibility that comes with this stuff. So I think that there are definitely policy elements at work here. I know you can see in how the drug laws are moving. I knew when they were moving towards drugs, I or I should say I anticipated when they're moving towards legalizing pot. I thought, well, they get a lot of control, a lot of power out of having drug money, you know, behind the scenes. If you look at Gary Webb's work, he he was the one who uncovered the whole CIA behind the crack epidemic in the 80s. If you look at Operation Fast and Furious, the U.S. government was involved with the drug cartels in Mexico for gun running and cash running and I'm sure other things as well. You know that there's a lot of powers that be that are involved in all this stuff, but this is killing people. Like this is really killing the customer and maybe deterring people from using it. So it's not necessarily a power play as far as generating big money although it it absolutely has yielded some requests some demand for policy changes all this narcan you know which is a big pharma products but it's still that's only like a billion dollars a year industry And then they go on to ask, uh, they want to make the drug czar a cabinet position. They want to increase mental health financing and all that kind of thing. All the, the usual suspects of money and policy, but nothing that really that's way out of the ordinary. I mean, if they can gin up another drug crisis, I think they would probably like that. That seems to be their thing. But I feel like Uh, There may be more to this than meets the eye. I definitely when I see the DEA reports coming out of where it's being made in Mexico, how it's coming over across the border, I can't help but think that they are behind this as they have been behind so much of the worldwide drug trade and that it is designed to undermine our society and um, target or create a whole class of people who will be neutralized and uh, politically and dependent on the system in many ways for their food, for their rehab, for all of that. Could just be an ordinary case of that, but it's so destructive of society. It's such an ingrained part of the society. I'm, I'm confident that many of us have had this experience personally and are very worried and frustrated about how it affects us. So I do, as you know, like to end the show with a Positive thought and and on the topic of the day, especially today, because I I have had so much experience with people in my life using drugs, getting addicted to drugs and some people kicking the habit. And a lot of times it works to have intervention um, and rehab, especially if the person is willing But if that, and you can try that 10 times, 20 times, 100 times, sometimes that doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, I've also observed that you could kind of flip the script and try to hit underlying issues first. Don't pressure them so much to give up the drugs, but try to understand some of the underlying issues that drive people to drugs. I think a big one is the lack of satisfying personal relationships, which is hard. You know, it's a vicious circle. When you're a druggie, you're going to not want to... Have too much of that. People have a, um, but you might have to be there for people. That's what Mother Teresa used to say: just be there for the drug addicts, listen to them, and just hold their hands. There's also this idea of a lack of affirmation. It's this vicious circle of being unable to kind of respect yourself and then engaging in self-destructive behavior. Also, kind of a similar thing is past trauma. So people have had traumas and they they can't face them, so they kind of numb their minds to it. And then, you know, lack of self-respect that comes out of a lot of that stuff. So I just suggest trying to think outside the box with some of this stuff. I think there are some treatments out there, DBT or CBT, that can kind of help people without, who are really not open to the rehab, who have those underlying issues. Maybe even go crazy and move to a place where you think they don't have those problems. Like get out there where a person's body is really connected to the, to the, Environment around them where they have to work hard to put food on the table, get out there where you can maybe homestead or something. And I'm very interested in if people have had success stories or have ideas about this, uh, you could tweet at me. You can always tweet at me. Maybe when I post this show, you can tweet under the show at Monica Perez Show. And that way we can share it with a lot of people, these insights and ideas. But I do think that it's most important to never give up on the people with us. If you want to, you know, I'm a real libertarian. I don't believe that. I think the government always has these ulterior motives. But I feel like in order to not feed into their arguments that we need them, we need to really dedicate ourselves to the people who are actually in our lives, especially our families. We have that responsibility, I think. I, I include that in my idea of personal responsibility as a libertarian. So- don't give up unless you have to give up to save yourself. If you have to give up to save yourself, that is completely understandable. But I I feel like if you really think about the problem, if you really care about the people, just don't give up hope in any case. I am Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And like I said, feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.